right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast, episode 55, coming to you here this evening. I am Zach Follador, as always, tonight joined by new co-host Steve Helwick. Steve, excited to have you here tonight, man. How you doing? Thanks. I'm doing pretty well today. Cool, man. I wanted to, before we jump into football, um, wanted to get your thoughts real quick. I know you're a big NBA guy, as am I. Wanted to get your thoughts on uh, the Bucks finishing out the Suns last night. That was a heck of a series and just yeah. a title run for the ages. When you look just back at the playoffs, the Bucks made so many clutch plays. And they're such a resilient bunch, overcoming two O2 deficits, overcoming what we thought was going to be a season-ending injury for Giannis. Yeah. And just for Giannis to come out there and score 50 points, 50 out of 105 points in a closeout game, show that he can hit 17 of 19 free throws and control the defense with five blocks and just help facilitate two throughout the series. Yeah. That was just a heroic performance by Giannis and just a great playoff run by Chris Middleton, who had as many clutch buckets as we've seen in a playoff uh, since 2007 with LeBron James tying him with 15 go-ahead or tying field goals in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And Drew Holiday, who made so many clutch defensive plays, especially that one, that steal in game five on Devin Booker with the lob to Giannis. That's a play that we're going to be seeing in those finals montages for years to come. And Giannis said it in this post game. He said he he could have left. He could have done it the easy route, but it just means so much more for him to bring it to Milwaukee and just to see all those fans in Deer District celebrate something that hadn't been done in 50 years there. I just think it's a tremendous story. I think it's great for the NBA, and I I couldn't be happier. Even as a non-Milwaukee Bucks fan, I could not be happier for that franchise. Giannis, Chris, they all deserve it. I agree completely, man. I, I look, first of all, I love seeing small market teams succeed and the, and the, the way they built that team with, you know, Giannis and Chris being there for the last eight years. And then all the pieces they've put around them. I just, uh, you know, you mentioned Giannis's injury in the, in the Hawks series. Well, I think what was that game five against the Hawks or four or five against yep. the Hawks. And, and uh, I remember sitting there watching that live and being like he just tore his ACL bucks are done I that's I really thought that and then Damn. to see to see him come back um man what a series and well deserved for them I was really happy for them to win that and uh, we'll see I mean next year I you know Brooklyn will be back at full strength next year so the east is going to be tough uh looking forward to that but in the meantime before we get to next season of NBA basketball we're only six weeks away from college football here uh, and in the Mac universe, uh, had our uh, the annual media days this past uh, or just the other day at uh, at Ford Field in Detroit. Felt great to to see a you know a, a traditional uh, media day preseason day after what we had to deal with last year. Um, first thing I wanted to touch on here with you, Steve, um, is the the media you know voted on their predictions for the the each division. And uh, when we look at these, uh, you know, the what they released here, we got in the West. Ball State picked to repeat by the media, Toledo in second, Western Michigan in third, Central Michigan at four, Eastern at five, and then Northern Illinois at six. In the Eastern Division, we got Kent State uh, picked first by the media. First time that's happened in a long, long time. Then you got Ohio at two, Miami at three, Buffalo at four, Akron at five, Bowling Green at six. Curious to get your thoughts in general here, Steve. Um, any Anyone here that, you know, he feels too high. Anyone that's too low, not getting enough respect. What do you think? Well, the media did agree with my picks this year with uh, Ball State and Kent State leading their respective divisions, which I was kind of surprised I picked that because the day before the Vegas odds came out, we saw Toledo in first place. That one yeah. really shocked me. Toledo having the highest Vegas Mac odds. But I think the my main takeaway from these media polls was I think people are sleeping on the 2019 MAC champion Miami Redhawks. Mm. Miami only played three games last year. They went two and one. They beat Ball State, who won the MAC, finished ranked number 23 in the country, and finished on a seven-game win streak, which is I think tied for the fourth longest in college football. But the Miami Redhawks last year they they. Their passing defense was exposed by Buffalo. That was the one game. They, they sold out and they stopped Jarrett Patterson and Buffalo's rushing attack, but their passing defense just got exposed in that game. And that was the only weakness the Redhawks really showed all year long. And this year with Brett Gabbert, 
he threw no interceptions last year, looked like a more confident version of himself. He didn't even start their only loss last year. So when you return a Brett Gabbert, who's getting more experience and just getting more polished player, you could see that he had raw potential as a true freshman when he led Miami to that back title. And now he's just going to be one of the elite quarterbacks in the back. I think you have the Tyree Shelton and Jay Lindvester, their two running back duo that both sat out the 2020 season. They're returning for 2021. And it's such a good linebacking group that they have there in Miami with Ryan McWood and Ivan Pace. So yeah. I think that a lot of things to be excited about for the Red Hawks. And I really believe that they should at least be number two in the East. And I think they could challenge Kent State for number one because I think that they have the golden flashes in the defensive department. I, I But I think that Kent State's offense can just – yeah, run through any team in the max. So that's why I would have the golden flashes first, but Miami's not too far behind in my opinion. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you, man. I think when I look at Miami defensively, you know, 10, 10 starters back from last year, I think this is probably going to be the best defense in the conference. I, I maybe, maybe someone else will prove me wrong, but I think Miami has the best group there. The thing that, that surprises me a little bit, and, and it seems like we have this conversation every year but, but the media seems to have this infatuation with Toledo. And I don't know, I, you know, I don't know where it comes from, but seeing Toledo in second place in the Mac here in front of, I, I guess my biggest issue here is Toledo over Western Michigan. I think I would have Western Michigan at two in the West there with all of the returning talent they have. I mean, with Toledo, you know, it just came out via media days uh, the other day, you know, Eli Peters has retired from football. So you got Carter Bradley at quarterback. Carter Bradley completed less than 50% of his passes last year. I, I don't necessarily see what the media sees in Toledo, given what they've done the last, what I would say the last probably three years, I would say they've underperformed. I, I would agree ever since Logan Woodside left campus. And even that year, they did lose their full game 34-0. That was the one year that they were projected to be MAC champions and they got the job finished. I don't really know what they're seeing in Toledo this year, especially without Eli Peters on campus, because I felt like their offense took a little bit of a hit when he uh, left last season. Yeah. But uh, at the end of the year, they played a close game against Central Michigan. They won that 24 23. They did beat winless NIU and they did play Ball State pretty close. Yeah, last season, and they would have beat. I don't know if you remember that that Toledo Western Michigan game, which was probably the most thrilling college football game of the year last year, when it had Toledo taking yeah double digit lead, Western Michigan driving down the field, getting their own onside kick, and then having the fake spike touchdown yes. to win. That was a heck of a game. So I guess looking at it, Toledo really could have gone five and one, and if they beat Ball State six and zero last year, so. They did have a lot of good things going for them, but I don't see them as a better team than Ball State, a Ball State team that's returning nearly their entire starting lineup, a Ball State team that caught fire at the end of the year, definitively beat Buffalo in the MAC championship game, definitively beat an undefeated San Jose State team in the Arizona Bowl, is very balanced offensively and defensively. I think Toledo does have pretty good pieces in place. Bryant Kobach still on campus. You have Samuel Womack, who I think is the best cornerback in the entire Mid-American Conference. Yeah. Uh, great coverage corner. So I like some of Toledo's pieces. I think I'm good with them being second place, but I think it's a little bit of a distant second, I would say, rather than close call. I mean, Toledo's staring down – an evident one-on-one start starting their season with Norfolk State and Notre Dame, but we'll learn a lot about the Rockets pretty quickly in those Colorado State and Ball State games in weeks three and four. Yeah, I, I agree with that. When you look at the schedule for uh, for Toledo, um, you know, going to Ball State September 25th, the other game I'm looking at there in, in this uh, on their schedule is October 23rd. They got Western Michigan at home. I think that'll be a great game as well, kind of determine the pecking order of, of the division there. Um, so obviously we'll, we'll check back in at the end of the year, see how close the media was to getting this right. Um, the other, the other, we're at the phase of preseason now also where all of the preseason award watch lists are coming out, including 
the, uh, the, the Doak Walker Award for the best running back in college football. Steve, the MAC put six players on this list this year. And I've mentioned this on Twitter earlier. I think an argument can be made that running back is, is maybe the deepest position in the conference this year in terms of elite level talents. So the guys that made the list here, we've got Darius Boone from Eastern Michigan, Brian Kobach from Toledo, who you just mentioned, Kobe Lewis from Central Michigan, Kevin Marks from Buffalo, Lou Nichols, also from Central Michigan, and then uh, Harrison Whaley from Northern Illinois. Two Chippewas on this list, Steve, along with Kevin Marks, Brian Kobach. A lot of guys have been doing it for a long time at a high level in this conference. I think this, this running back group coming out of the MAC right now, with you throw in you know, Jarrett Patterson from last year, a lot of good ball toters right here in the conference right now. I definitely agree. And I think running back's been the deepest position group for a few years now when you look back to 2000. 19 when Jarrett Patterson didn't even win the Mac offensive player of the year when Levante Bellamy was yeah. leading yes and rushing touchdowns and he was basically I forget the exact number I think he had like eight or nine touchdowns of 40 plus yards that season so there's so many Mac running backs that are just running rampant all over the field every single week you have another pair of central Michigan running backs back in that uh and just two seasons ago we had Jonathan Ward and Kobe Lewis each rush for a thousand yards and the only other tandem to rush for a thousand yards each in the running back position was Jarrett Patterson and Kevin Marks so now it's kind of cool to see Kobe Lewis and Kevin Marks take over as number one running backs for their respective teams which Marks is a running back I'm really excited to watch this year just to see how he does Buffalo's replacing three guys on its offensive line but they've dealt with offensive line turnover in the past they had uh, turnover three just a year ago and they had really no issue and Jarrett Patterson only put up better numbers so I'm kind of curious to see how Kevin Marks does behind that Buffalo offensive line this year but having the six running backs on the list it's no surprise to me considering how great they've looked the past couple of years in this conference and we're even seeing good Mac running back production at the NFL level in recent years we've seen just Kareem Hunt what he yeah. was able to do uh, as a rookie out of Toledo so I, I think that it's going to sustain just the running back production of the Mac this year. And even the running backs that aren't on that list, like the guys like Jalen uh, Bester and Tyree Shelton, I think every team has decent pieces at that position. Uh, Terry and Stewart from Bowling Green. There's, yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of good, good runners to look at in this conference. No doubt. Yeah, I, I'd throw, uh, you know, I'd throw DeMontre Tuggle for, in that list and, you know, Teon Dollard as well. I mean, even, even guys, even teams like Akron and, and Bowling Green, you mentioned Terry on store, Teon Dollard, these guys, you know, teams that are, you know, you know, probably at the bottom of the list in the conference route, even they have guys that can, you know, mm -hmm. that can run the ball for you. So, so it's a good list for sure. A great group of running backs here um, in, in, uh, in the Mac right now. So it'll be fun to see, especially for, you know, a conference that sometimes gets thought of more of like a pass happy pass first. You love to see, you know, a running back group like this. Speaking of being pass happy, um, the other, uh, major award to watch list, the Davey O'Brien watch list for best quarterback in America for the second year in a row, uh, Dustin Crum named to that list. He's the only Mac quarterback named to that list this year. I'm sure there's probably some ball state fans out there that, are offended that Drew Plitt didn't make the cut. But I think, Steve, I think you and I are in agreement with the greatness of how good Dustin Crum has been and can be. I think, in my opinion, he's the best player in the conference right now. I Maybe you disagree, but I think, uh, you know, he's well-deserving of this. I'm really excited to see how he performs this year, especially in that hard non-conference schedule that they have. I do agree with everything he said about Dustin Crum, and I'll continue talking him up because he's such a great quarterback, but I think that there is an egregious mishap. Did you say that Crum was the only Davy O'Brien? He's the, he's the only Mac quarterback on the Davy O'Brien award watch list. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. So Caleb Ellaby was not on that list. Sure. Caleb yeah. He ranked third in passer rating. He had 18 touchdowns and just two interceptions averaged over 11 yards per attempt completed passes at a 65% rate and Caleb Ellaby, I, he was clutch when it mattered in just games like the Toledo comeback where he looked really poised on those last two possessions, which were one screw up on fourth down. And that game could have been over a while ago. And he looked poised in that Northern Illinois game that they won on a game winning field goal pretty late and against central Michigan in that rivalry when he had five touchdowns on just 12 completions and uh, I think it was a bit of a rainstorm there. So 
I was really impressed with the work LLB did last year. And even in those losses to Ball State and Eastern Michigan, he performed pretty well. And I think you'd have to blame those ones more on the defensive side because he showed up every time, every single game last year. And I think he's a tremendous quarterback. Uh, Tim Lester says that he's one of the best passers he's ever seen before. And he has just so much pop to his arm and he's gaining confidence. So I think Caleb Ellaby could be this model of efficiency again this year. And he's the reason why I think Western Michigan's offense is still an intriguing launch, even without Dwayne Eskridge, who produced so much for that unit last year. So I keep my eyes also on Caleb Ellaby in addition to Dustin Crum, where we know that Dustin Crum is one of the top dual threat quarterbacks in the nation. And he should continue to do what he's done in the last two years because he's been absolutely brilliant at leading Kent State's offense to top in the nation. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. It's a it's a great point. And and when I look at Ellaby's stats again this you know from last year, I mean 18 to 2 touchdown to interception ratio, 65% completion percentage from a sophomore. I mean, this is a guy as as we talk through this, I agree with you completely. This is a guy that did deserve to be on that list. I'm still I agree with what you said as well about their offense. I think with uh with Ladarius Jefferson still in the background with in the backfield, Sky Moore on the outside, and then I think they probably have there's a lot of good offensive lines in the Mac. I think Western Michigan might top that list though, with all the experience they have coming back. So that, that will be a potent offense to watch this year. I'm very intrigued a little sidebar here. I'm very intrigued with their week one matchup at Michigan. I think there's a lot of question marks in Ann Arbor right now. And um, I'm not saying I think Western Michigan goes in and wins that game, but I think that'll be a closer game than, uh, than a lot of people might expect. So uh just to, to kind of recap things here, we got Ball State picked to win the West, Kent State picked to win the East. We got six MAC running backs on the Doak Walker Award watch list, and Dustin Crum as the only MAC representative on the uh, the Davy O'Brien Award watch list for the best quarterback in America. So always good to see some MAC athletes get recognized on these preseason award watch lists, and we'll see how they perform throughout the year. And uh, they're still standing at the end of the season. Let's move in now, Steve, uh, to some of our season preview material that we've been working on. So as I mentioned on Twitter the other day, we got, uh, we're going to do two teams each week here for the next six weeks. We're going to start at the bottom of the standings last year and work our way up. So this week we're starting off with Northern Illinois and Bowling Green. And uh, we'll start off our conversation here tonight, Steve, with, uh, with Northern Illinois. This is a team, Thomas Hammock's second season last year. You go 0-6. I don't think anybody was expecting too much from the Huskies last year. They were so, so young. And even this year, Steve, still, you know, 54 freshmen on the roster, over half the roster is freshmen. This is still a really, really young team. But I think there's some pieces here, uh, especially on offense for the Huskies, that they're going to be able to build on moving forward. I'm curious to get your thoughts generally on the state of the program right now. Yes, it, it starts to seem that Northern Illinois, who was renowned for their defensive prowess in the latter part of the last decade, is shifting toward more of an offensive team again. Uh, if you remember that 2018 MAC championship game, uh, MAC championship team couldn't score to save its life. I think it beat BYU seven to six, but yeah. that defense led by Sutton Smith and Kyle Pugh, who is still on campus. I think he first got to. DeKalb in 2015, he has had a torn bicep, and he, uh, I think that was in the 2017 season, and then 2019, he had another season-ending injury, so he's still there after having a third-team All-Max selection last year, so I'm, I'm intrigued with how he's going to lead that uh, defense of a lot of young players, uh, but I, I like what I saw from their offense a lot last year, especially with first-team All-Max selection Tyrese Ritchie, who played pretty well at the receiver predict. Uh, position you return Cole Tucker and Trayvon Rudolph and that is one of the best receiving trios in the back so that was a position that I thought when NIU had some of their better defensive teams that they really needed to shore up was that wide receiver position yeah now it seems like they have the pieces in place there to win now uh, the quarterback is something that I'm gonna have some questions on because I watched a lot of Michigan's State football over the past few years and I'm kind of wondering if Rocky Lombardi is going to be as good or as Ross Bowers at the position I thought Ross Bowers was pretty decent he had a lot of games where he threw over 300 yards and he provided what was needed to be done for the Huskies but Rocky Lombardi last year he, he struggled at times with 
the Spartans and had more interceptions and touchdowns in his career in East Lansing. But he also was one of the architects of that upset over number eight Northwestern last November. And he did a solid job that game uh, throwing two touchdown passes. But his, his best performance was when he threw three touchdown passes and 323 yards against Michigan. So we know that he's capable of doing great things. And that was against the Wolverines defense, which is usually known as a pretty solid unit across college football, even if they struggled at times last year. So I'm, I'm intrigued how Lombardi fits into this offense. And if he can get those chemistry with those three receivers, then I think NIU is good for a trap game, a couple upsets here and there, just due to some offensive firepower, because we saw Harrison Whaley just improve every single game last year as the year went on finished with two 100-yard rushing games, and I think NIU set in that position too. Their offensive line's a bit young. Uh, they're going to get more experience with a lot of those guys returning, so I think that there are good things to watch on the Huskies' offense this year, and they're, they're not going to go winless again this year. Their 0-6 was a lot different than Bowling Green's 0-6, and, and they, they played a bit of a tougher division too to get there. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. See, that last thing you said that you know, the 0-6 you got from Northern Illinois last year did not feel as hopeless as the 0-6 you got from Bowling Green. I mean, this is a team, you know, you put up 30 points on Buffalo in week one. Your, 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 um, your defense couldn't get a stop in that game. But then as you progress through the season, I mean, a six-point loss to Ball State, a three-point loss to Western Michigan, an eight-point loss to Eastern Michigan. And then you put, put up a solid fight against Toledo, too, although they pulled away at the end they were there to win 41 to 24. I mean, this was a team last year that despite their youth, they were competitive in every single game. Now, a lot of the questions that you mentioned, I, I have the same questions as, as a Penn State fan and as somebody that watches a lot of Big Ten football. Rocky Lombardi was never a guy that that really impressed me. I he's I mean, I think he is um I think he's a um, adequate starter. I don't know if he's gonna put your team over the top. I do like the weapons they have around him, though. You mentioned Harrison Way Lee. I thought he was a, a, a great bright spot for them last year. Trayvon Rudolph was a great story. You mentioned him, you know, started the year as a, as a walk-on and earned a scholarship, became a freshman All-American as a kick returner. And then you mentioned Tyrese Ritchie as well, who, who led the league in, in receiving last year. I think for me, the, the, the issue on offense, I think, is, is the offensive line. They're still so young. They have four starters back this year, so there's a little bit more of experience, but this is still a team that was 11th in the MAC in rushing. They only average 127 yards a game, only three yards per carry. They also gave up 15 sacks in six games. So I think I need to see some growth from the offensive line this year. If, if, I'm, if I'm a Northern Illinois fan, that's what I'm looking for, I think, is that for this offense to progress, the offensive line has to get better. Like I said, they have four starters back. Um, you can debate whether that's a good thing or not whenever they struggled so badly last year. But I think a lot of that had to do with youth. Um, again, only, you know, they were 11th in the conference in rushing yards per game. I think that's that's where I'm most curious to see their progression this year is how they are able to get better in the trenches, if they're able to get better in the trenches. And I think if they are, I agree with you. I, they're not going to go winless again. I see them, you know, I, I see, we'll talk about their schedule here in a couple minutes, but I see at least two or three wins on their schedule. Then the question to me becomes, I wonder how much patience the Huskies fan base is going to have with coach Thomas Hammock. I mean, this is a, the, a program that is used to winning games and competing for Mac championships and going to bowl games. And that's where I'm curious to see how this program progresses over the next year or two to see how the fan base responds because of that. Yes. I, I remember seeing in hustle belts mentions the fire rod carry tweets after yes uh, yes eight, five seasons and <laughs> he ended up uh, getting a kind of a promotion to go to temple where that program is not in good hands right now picked last to finish in the aic this year but one big thing i've noticed the difference between the thomas hammock and the rod carry era is at the quarterback position it felt like after jordan lynch left campus Rod Carey's entire goal was to recreate Jordan Lynch and trying to get those run first quarterbacks. And you mm. weren't seeing much passing production out of those teams. When you look at guys like Drew Hare, Anthony Maddie, Daniel Santa Catarina, uh, Marcus Childers, who led that MAC championship uh, team in 2018, although that MAC championship game was the best passing game of his career as a Husky. Yeah. 
And then Hammett comes in and Childers gets benched for Ross Bowers, who transfers in, and you see more of an air-based attack with Northern Illinois rather than more of the zone read looks that, that were frequent in the Rod Carey era. So it's definitely taken a bit of time to reform the offense. So hopefully for the Huskies, things can come to fruition this year about it. But that was just an interesting observation I noticed was the contrast between styles with the two coaches and how they prefer their quarterbacks. That's a great point. I, I hadn't thought about that. And, and as you say that, I, I'm starting to realize that that also might have something to do with the struggles of the O-line here, the transition from more of the, you know, as you mentioned, kind of the zone read uh, type of, of scheme to more of a, of a pass first offense. So it'll be inter- interesting to see how they're able to progress this year. Like I said, last year, they were eighth in the Mac in total offense, 11th in rushing offense, uh, 10th in scoring offense, only averaging about 24 and a half points a game. So they're gonna have to get a little bit better this year. I think if, if they want to, um, you know, if they want to take that next step now on defense, um, still similar to offense, they're still a very young team, but there's some bright spots here as well. I mean, um, you have, uh, you have, you know, four of your top five linebackers back. Nick Ratlin in the, in the middle was very good last year. Lance DeVoe on the outside. You have everyone back in the, uh, in the secondary. Uh, Jordan Gandy was second team all-Mac at cornerback last year. Both of their safeties last year that they started were true freshmen, uh, Devin Lafayette and Jordan Hansen. I think this defense here is what gives me cause for optimism when I look at Northern Illinois. They're obviously, I think the skill position players on offense are good, but I think there's a lot of really good, really young pieces on this defense that were good last year. Jordan Hansen, the true freshman uh, safety that started, you know, he had two interceptions. Again, you had Jordan Gandy at cornerback, second team All-Mac. I think there's a lot of good, uh, good pieces here. There were seven freshman starters on this defense last season, and I think you're going to see some natural progression and growth from them this year. Yes, and you mentioned the names Jordan Gandy and Devin Lafayette, and those guys, well, I just see future greatness out of both of them just because at such a young age, they were able to perform at such a high level last year and both secure all-MAC honors. Jordan Gandy had seven pass deflections last year, and he did pretty well after transferring from uh, South Dakota State at the FCS level, which that's usually one of the better FCS programs. And then Devin Lafayette is a true freshman, comes in, finishes second on the team in tackles with 36 and really performs well in the safety position. And I expect another all-max selection and possibly even first team this year, just for how phenomenal of a safety he was with such little experience in a pandemic season, which I think would have been harder on true freshmen to perform at that level. Uh, You have the veterans in there, Kyle Pugh, Lance DeVoe, guys that have been there back in the MAC championship days that can help instill the culture of winning from the Rod Carey era. So I think those are things to like about the defense too, but there's so many young guys there. CJ Brown, another safety you mentioned earlier. And then Weston Kramer, a veteran defensive tackle, uh, that there's a lot of guys. Is Kramer still on campus? I think, you know, Weston Kramer, actually he is, uh, they, they did lose him. He's, he, he opted not to come back and use his extra year. So he's, he's going to be a tough one to replace on the D line. for sure. I, as soon as I said Weston Kramer, I'm like, actually, I think Kramer did leave. So it's, it's hard to keep track when seniors could have yeah, that it is. eligibility. So, yes, that, that actually does change a bit of the defensive line outlook for this season for the Huskies. But I think uh, DeMond Taylor was a guy last year I remember watching in the defensive tackle position. Yep. Yeah. Could step in and fill in that role for Weston Kramer. But you still have some veterans and a good mix of young guys on this team. So. They, they struggled last year against a couple teams, like especially Buffalo, but almost every team did. And then Toledo put up 41 on them. So it's, there's still going to be some growing pains this year for NIU, but I, I really like what I see out of their secondary, especially. I, yeah, I, I agree with you completely. And, and I think, uh, you know, this is a team when you look in terms of, uh, of the class breakdown, as I mentioned, 54 freshmen on the roster this year, this is a team that was the second youngest team in the FBS last year. I mean, so many young guys that were kind of just thrown into the fire. Obviously that led to some, uh, some, some struggles last year, but I think you're going to see the benefits of that this year. Um, and, and, you know, you're going to see a lot of growth from this team. This is a team I think that is, primed to take a couple big steps forward this year now when you go from you know you were five and seven two years ago you're zero and six last year 
obviously it's going to take some time to, to, to get back to that point where, where you're a, uh, you know, you're competing for a Mac championship. I'm not saying I think that they're going to do that this year, but I do think that they are, you know, going to be more competitive this year. And I do think that they're looking uh, the, you know, the arrow is pointing up for the Huskies. This is a team season win total, I believe was set, was set at, uh, at three and a half. And so that's what I wanted to look at next here. Steve, I wanted to take a look at, at the Husky schedule and kind of let's take a look at what we think of how this, the, the season's going to play out for them. I mean, you open, it's a tough game going down to Atlanta to take on Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech is, is another team that's kind of in, in rebuild mode. Uh, Jeff Collins entering in his, uh, his third year there in, uh, in Atlanta. Jeff Sims, the true freshman quarterback last year for the Ramblin' Wreck, really acquitted himself well. Uh, you know, almost 2,000 passing yards and uh, was able to get it done on, on the ground as well. He was also their leading rusher, 492 rushing yards. So when I look at their non-conference schedule, Steve, I see uh, at Georgia Tech, Wyoming, at Michigan, and Maine, two losses there, I think, Georgia Tech and Michigan. I think you can chalk Maine up probably as a victory. I, I, I will be honest, I haven't done enough research on Wyoming to know what kind of team they're going to have this year, but you get that game at home, if I'm a Huskies fan, I think that that game in week two against the Cowboys is kind of can serve as a barometer to see where we're at with this team right now. Yes, uh, Wyoming uh, and Georgia Tech, I think that they're about on equal footing with each other. Georgia Tech still trying to adjust from that triple option. Look, they had a really good win against Louisville last year, I remember, on a Friday night. Mm-hmm. And they did have that win over Florida State, Mike Norvell, spoiling Mike Norvell's debut with the Seminoles where their defense really showed up and stopped FSU on pretty much every single clutch down possible. So I think that that game against Georgia Tech, I think NIU could surprise it. Maybe I'm going to pick Georgia Tech when it's time to do our pin and down picks for that game, just because I expect more of an accelerated growth under Jeff Collins with each year deviating from that triple option that the yellow jackets are going to get slightly better. And then on Wyoming, I think Wyoming's probably in the Georgia Tech tier of college football right now. They went two and four last year, and they had a really dominant win over Hawaii, but they didn't really do much else on the season, having uh, kind of low-scoring games to end the year. But Xavier Valaday, one of their running backs, is a guy that I really like that I think could really cruise past the defense. So I think that the Huskies need to be wary of him. Uh, I think Sean Chambers returns a quarterback this year, so – they have a good veteran offense going there in Wyoming with uh, under Coach Bull. But uh, right now, I'm I would if I had to predict, I'd say one and three start for NIU with that win being over the FCS team Maine on September yeah. 25th. But I'm not going to roll out the Georgia Tech and Wyoming games because I think those can be winnable for the Huskies. One of those at least. Sure. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I'm going to go one and three in the non-conference. That would be a heck of a win to start the season if they were able to go down to Atlanta and knock off Georgia Tech. Uh, so so we'll see. I think we'll find out a lot about the Huskies there in those in those first two weeks. You look at the max schedule, you open up Eastern Michigan at home. You go to Toledo, then you got Bowling Green at home and then you go to Central Michigan. You got four games there before your bye week. Um, I think. We'll get to bowling. We're going to, we'll talk more fully about Bowling Green here in a couple minutes, but I think Bowling Green at home, if I'm a Northern Illinois fan, I'm looking at that as a game I have circled that we should win that game. Eastern Michigan, I think is a, is a team that even though they were picked fifth in the Western division, I think that's a team that has a lot of talent on it. I'm not sure that I would pick Northern Illinois to win that game, but I think that could be a good game. Um, I look at those four. I see probably one and three once again, I'm probably, so we're probably looking at two and six going into the last third of the season there. But again, I, I, th- I say that also while acknowledging, I can see them stealing a win against Eastern Michigan or Wyoming or even Georgia Tech, as you said. But I think when I look at those first four MAC games, I'm looking at Bowling Green as, as a, I, you know, I put that in the win column. Those other three, though, at Toledo, that's a tough place to play. Same with Central Michigan. Eastern Michigan at home, I think, is a winnable game. I don't know, though, that uh, the Huskies will have the firepower to do it this year. I I definitely agree with a lot of those things there. But uh, Northern Illinois, I said earlier, seems like the trap game. They seem like what Eastern Michigan's been the past couple years to other MAC teams. Like last year, when Western Michigan went 4-0 going into 
that game on Thanksgiving. I think it was Thanksgiving weekend against Eastern Michigan and the Broncos. Yeah. Their Eastern Michigan dropped, I think, about 50 points on them. So I think Northern Illinois can be that similar team this year where there's going to be games where they just outscore opponents like that with a good passing game and Harrison Whaley improving in the rushing department where I think NIU can play some barn burning games and win by scores of like 42 to 38. So yeah, I, I think that that's reasonable assumption this year for the Huskies is probably, I don't know, anywhere from about three to four, maybe five wins. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I, I would agree with that. I, I think as I look at their schedule, I think three and nine feels right to me. Um, because as you know, as you and I said, you know, we have them kind of going probably two and six, maybe three and five through those first eight games. This last four, uh, this last month of the season for them is brutal. You go at Kent State, Ball State at home, at Buffalo, and then Western Michigan. Those are four. I mean, you got Kent State, Ball State, Western Michigan, three of the best teams in the MAC. Buffalo, you know, they've had a lot of turnover this year, but still to go to Buffalo, not an easy thing to do there at the end of the season. I don't see them winning any of those last four. I do think I could see them picking up a, you know, an upset or two through those first eight games. I think three and nine feels right to me with Northern Illinois. I, you know, I chalk Maine and Bowling Green up as victories. And then, you know, either Eastern Michigan, Wyoming, Georgia Tech, one of those three games, I could see them pulling one out as well. I agree with you though, Sam, or Steve. I think three and nine feels right to me. As an observer of the conference, do you get the sense that Thomas Hammock has the things pointing in the right direction here? I, you know, they, it seems like they did a total re, rebuild last year. They brought in a ton of freshmen. They brought in a ton of freshmen this year. It seems like they're trying to rebuild this from the ground up. Do you sense that things are moving in the right direction for the Huskies right now? It's too soon to tell. I, there's yeah. good pieces I like of freshmen performing at high levels early on in their college careers guys like Devin Lafayette, uh, but I, I just don't know. I can't really look at a team that went 0-6 the year before and say that they're trending in the right direction until I start to see results form. So this NIU team is preseason expectations. I mean, it's been as low as probably 2007 for the team. That's how long the Huskies were when they had that run of, was it, six straight MAC championship appearances from 2010 to 2015. So yeah. it's a program that's not used to this place. And I know Thomas Hammock as an alum knows that they're not used to being in this place. So they're going to try to get out of this, but this rebuild is going to last maybe a year, two more years, I think, before we start to see NIU return to bowl season. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. I think probably next year and the year following are the years when we're going to see a lot of, uh, a lot of improvement from the Huskies. I know you hear coach Hammock talk at media days these last couple of days. And, you know, he, he talks about how much he loves the roster and there's a lot of talent and a lot of character on there. I still think they're so young though, maybe, maybe a year away uh, for the Huskies. Let's move on, Steve, uh, talk a little bit about Bowling Green here. Boy, I tell you what, my, my, how the mighty have fallen. I mean, this is a team 2015 won the Mac championship, uh, had a great two year stretch with Dino Babers at head coach. Uh, where they were, you know, putting, seemed like they were scoring 50 points on everybody. And it's been a, a quick downward trajectory since then. We mentioned earlier that even though uh, Northern Illinois went 0-6 last year, you saw signs of progress. There were things, you know, there were things, you know, things that you could look at as silver linings, things that you could grab onto as a Bowling Green fan and say, that gives me, or I'm, as a Northern Illinois fan, things that, you know, you could look at and say, this gives me hope for the future. Uh I don't want to sound negative, but I, I'm not sure that you could say the same for Bowling Green last year. I mean, this was a team last year that struggled pretty much in every category on both sides of the ball. You know, their their uh, their their closest game was a, a 31 to three blowout at Akron, which was Akron's only win of the season. This is a program, Steve, for you know a once proud program that gave us Urban Meyer, gave us Dave Clawson, gave us so many good teams in the 2000s. This is a program in a bad place right now. Horrible place. Uh, a couple stats from uh, ESPN stats and tweet last year that Bowling Green became the first MAC team over the last 50 seasons to lose five straight games by 35 points. The first <laughs> FBS 
team over the last 15 seasons to lose five straight conference games by 35 points. The fourth team over the last 15 seasons to allow 60 points in consecutive home games, which was their final game against Ohio in 2019 and last year, 2020 against Buffalo, their home opener. So yes, Bowling Green is as bad as any program in college football. Maybe you could rival them with UMass, but maybe New yeah. Mexico, but Bowling Green is as bad as it gets right now. And they finally broke that streak of losing five consecutive games by 35 points by only losing by 28 to an Akron team on a 21 <laughs> game losing streak. Yes. 21 losing streak team. And it wasn't even close. Bowling yeah. Green was just an abomination last year, just pitiful. And Scott Leffler is very animated coach in his press conferences. And you can tell how bad he wants to bring this back. And he keeps emphasizing that he wants to do it the right way. He's saying that he doesn't want to do it with grad transfers or JUCO guys, then start winning with Bowling Green and leave as soon as he finds his first hint of success. And he kind of threw some shade and said that previous regimes uh, did that. And that's why Bowling Green is in the place where it is now. And it's really tough for Scott Leffler. Like you can see the passion in his eyes, how much he wants to bring this program back to a winning place because Bowling Green lost. I think, I think they had three all Mac guys last year and all three of them are gone. Yep. Colby Coleman, their linebacker transferred to the FCS level. Quentin Morris, their tight end went to the NFL and Bryson Denley, their all Mac kick returner, I think also is targeting an NFL career right now. So when you lose all three of your best players, when everybody was eligible to return this year, that makes building off a rebuild even more difficult for the Falcons. What One thing I do like about Leffler is he always tells it how it is in his press conferences. Last year, I just remember after Terry and Stewart had that 162-yard game against Kent State, and everyone's thinking, wow, Bowling Green has something special in the running back department. Leffler, surprisingly, when asked about Stewart's performance, said he's going to get Matt McDonald killed out there with his blocking and kept yes. emphasizing about his just this failure to block and says that that's an area of the game Stewart will have to learn. So he's, he can be very critical of his players. He, he said that too about Quentin Morris last year when Morris was talking about wanting to be all Mac player of the week and all that. And, uh, and uh, Leffler's just saying how Bowling Green's not winning games and none of the players really deserve that at the moment. So he's not afraid to be highly critical of his guys and he want he's he still talks about that win over 2019 from Toledo, where they just destroyed a Toledo team that was 28 and a half point favorites and only held them to single digit points. And I remember him saying at Mac Media Days in 2020, he wants that energy of that Toledo week to be replicated in the weight room in January. He wants it to be replicated against Eastern Michigan in a non-conference game against who knows, Tennessee is the opener this year. So he really wants to focus on building a culture for this program. I think similar to what we've seen by with Sean Lewis, who's already got results really quickly at Kent State, but it's not going to be difficult. It's going to be very difficult for Bowling Green, who I think lost what their second, third and fourth leading tacklers last year. Yep. They lost Andrew Blair to the transfer portal from Northwestern. They lost Bryson Denley. They lost Quentin Morris. They lost, uh, I think that Julian Ortega Jones might have transferred too. Yeah. So this team's basically building from the ground up once again. And I just don't know how they're going to register more than one win this year. It's, it's, it, this program's such in difficult shape right now. It, it really is. And it's, it's crazy. Like for a team that was so young last year, Steve, you'd think, okay, another year of experience, they're going to get better. They're still so young because they lost so many guys to the transfer portal. I mean, there were eight different guys that started for Bowling Green on the offensive line last year, and four of them are gone. Three of them by transfer. I mean, so it's the, the, the roster churn here is just it's, it's absurd. And I mean, when you look across college football this year, because of 
every, you know, the NCAA granting everyone an extra year of eligibility. You're seeing a lot of teams this year that when you look at them on paper, it's like, you know, they have like 16, 17, 18, 19 starters back. There's a lot of teams that have so much returning production. Bowling Green, you look at their roster, they have 10 starters back. They lost so much from last year because so many guys transferred out. I mentioned two guys or three guys on the O-line. Uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, they lost uh, Denley. They lost Ortega Jones. I mean, there's so many guys that they lost. I don't know. I like when I'm trying to look at a silver lining, there, there's not a ton here. I think Terry on Stort, the true freshman running back last year, showed you some flashes that he can be competitive in the Mac. He had himself a couple really good games. There's there was a sense, I think, last year, a lot of people expected Bowling Green to get better because they had high expectations for Matt McDonald at the quarterback position. They thought him coming in as a transfer from Boston College was going to really give this offense a boost. And that just did not happen. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't want to say this is all Matt McDonald's fault because the offensive line was terrible. They didn't have a lot of weapons. And it also has come out that he was playing injured most of the year. But I mean, this guy this is a guy, he completed 44% of his passes, one touchdown, six interceptions. I think, Steve, for me, the, the, the offensive, I think both, both, both lines for Bowling Green, the offensive line and the defensive line, I think that is the root of where all of these problems start because the offensive line, like I said, you got you got four starters from last year that are gone. So you're going to be very young again on the offensive line. They couldn't keep Matt McDonald upright last year. And if they can't do that this year, it's going to be another long year in Northwest Ohio for Falcon fans. Yes, they're, they're not really producing – consistent prospects at those positions right now and so much turnover is just going to make this really hard to build I mean Bowling Green was near the bottom last year and producing just 1.4 sacks per game I think there were only about 15 to 20 teams that produced fewer sacks than Bowling Green so the defensive line hasn't been applying pressure and the offensive line's just allowing too much pressure to get to Matt McDonald. And when you look at Matt McDonald's numbers, eight of 38 against Toledo, six yeah. of 28, a nine of 20 against Ohio, three of his five games last year, he went under 50% completion. In two of those five games, he went 30% or lower than that. That's how it started out the year. I remember there was a stat that at the beginning of the year, Bowling Green had a higher win percentage against big 10 teams in its history than their completion percentage on the season. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. That's, that's quite a stat right there. That's rough. Um, so yeah, offensively, I think maybe there are some, there's a couple reasons for optimism. If you really look, I mean, like I said, Terry on Stewart was very good as a, as a true freshman running back last year, averaged eight yards a carry. I mean, 37 carries 295 yards, four touchdowns. He showed some really good flashes for the Falcons. So I think he could be a, a building piece for the future. If they can get him to stick around, they seem to have a problem doing that here recently. But I also look at the wide receiver core. Uh, they, they lost a lot of guys, but they got two P power five transfers in. You got Austin Osborne coming in from Washington and then tight end uh, Tommy Guajardo coming in from Michigan State. So two guys from power five programs from from pretty decent power five programs that um, can hopefully help solidify their their skill position players on offense a little bit. When we look at the other side of the ball, though, Steve, this defense last year, as bad as the offense was, I think the defense was worse. I mean, 45 points a game, that's 12th in the conference. 475 total yards per game, that's 11th in the conference. 310 rush yards the game they gave up last year, playing only a max schedule. Not only was that the worst mark in the conference, that was the worst mark in the FBS. 310 rush yards per game. Not only was it worse in the FBS, that was worst in the country by 37 yards per game. This defense last year, I mean, I, I think a high school team could have scored 30 points on them. It, it, it was tough to watch. The D-line, um, not good. They're, they're switching. They got a new D coordinator this year with Eric Lewis, switching from a 4-3 to a 3-4. I don't know, Steve. Like, I, I still, when I look at this defense, there's just so many holes here. I, I don't, I'm not sure where you start or how to even break this down because I, I don't see it improving this year. Kent State really took it easy on them when they put up 62 points on Bowling Green last year because they could have added 
lot more. That could have been 80 really easily. But uh, the, yeah, Kent State rushed for 295 on them. I know Jarrett Patterson put over 300 rushing yards on that Bowling Green defense. Two, uh, pretty much two years in a row. I think the previous year he had like 298 on them. And Bowling Green defense being bad isn't anything new. Ever since that uh, the season after they won the 2015 MAC championship in 2016, they allowed 77 points twice that season. Ohio State beat them 77 to 10 in the opener. Then Memphis beat them 77 to three. Bowling Green has not figured out the defense once since winning that 2015 MAC championship. And you could even argue they didn't have the defense figured out too much that year. It was just Matt Johnson, Roger Lewis, and that offense just tearing, shredding teams apart through the air, where I think they led the entire FBS in passing yards that season. Mm -hmm. So when you get a Bowling Green offense that's inefficient, combined with a defense that is producing historically awful numbers year in and year out, you're going to get a 0-6 result of getting blown out in every single ball game. So it hasn't been a pretty result. Bowling Green's going to have to figure out one side of the ball at least. So offensively, the completion percentage we mentioned earlier cannot stand if the Falcons want to see any improvement. And then you got to have you got, you have to complete over 50% of your passes. And then having a productive running game with Terry and Stewart is a nice way to turn things around. I mean, these turnarounds are possible. We saw Kent State go from 129th in scoring offense to first in a from 2017 to 2020. So and it is definitely possible. But defensively, that might be harder to build, especially with a lot of Bowling Green's prominent defensive players transferring this offseason. But just some of those run numbers against uh, Kent State and Buffalo and even Akron really embarrassed the defense last year. So it was tough. And until I see Bowling Green show any improvement in actual games, it's, it's just going to be the same thing that's happened since 2016. I don't have the stats in front of me, but I guarantee you they've been bottom 10 in scoring defense in a row every single year since 2016. Yeah, for sure. And, and um, you know, I mentioned they're, they're switching their scheme this year. They're, you know, new defensive coordinator, Eric Lewis, was previously defensive coordinator at Eastern Michigan. So they're going to be going from a 4-3 to a 3-4. We'll see if that helps them at all. Um, they got Minnesota transferred defensive tackle Ali Saad, who I hope, you know, you would hope will help the defensive line out a little bit. The linebacking core, you you lose Colby Coleman, you lose Jerry Roberts. They both transfer out. Darren Anders was a bright spot last year, and uh, they also got a transfer at uh, middle linebacker from Bryce Brand, who was formerly at West Virginia. The, the funny thing about Bowling Green's defense last year is that they were actually second in the MAC in pass defense. They only gave up 165 pass yards per game. And on paper, on the surface, that sounds good. But then you realize the only reason that that's the case is teams knew they didn't have to pass the ball against them. You can run for 300 yards, six yards of carry against their defense. So the secondary didn't really get challenged. You got six of your eight top eight defensive backs that are returning this year. Plus, you get a transfer from Kansas, Davon Ferguson. So you know, I think on the back end, maybe they're not in quite as bad of shape as, as they are in the front seven. But nonetheless, uh, there's there's holes all around on this defense. And you really got to think that, you know, they, they'd like to take a step forward here this year on that side of the ball after, as you mentioned, five years now in a row of, of really, really bad defense from the Falcons. And, uh, you know, similar to Northern Illinois, Steve, this is a, a proud program that, you know, all through the late 90s and the 2000s was consistently going to bowl games and competing for MAC championships. So to see them have fallen this far, this fast, is, is really, uh, really eye-opening. When we look at their schedule for this year, uh, when, when the, the season win totals were released uh, about a month ago, Bowling Green had one of the lowest win totals in the entire FBS. They're at 1.5. When I look at their schedule, the only win I see is is Murray State. Um, you know, South Alabama, you know, is a toss up. I, you know, I, maybe if things go their way that day, you, you don't think South Alabama has a wide receiver named Jalen Tolbert, who is one of the best in the country. They also have Jalen Wayne returning to that receiving group. They have a grad transfer quarterback, Jake Bentley from South Carolina, and if. He's in a QB battle with Desmond Trotter. I, I think that there's a lot to like about that offense with South Alabama. 
And that's one of my dark horse teams in the Sun Belt this year. I I don't think that one's even going to be particularly close, even though the game's at Doit. At the Doit. Interesting. I, I admittedly had not done any research on South Alabama. I forgot Jake Bentley transferred there. That's interesting. Um, so, yeah, when we look at their non-conference schedule, you open up the season at Tennessee, then you have South Alabama at home, you got Murray State at home, and then you go to Minnesota. Yeah, I think we're in agreement there, Steve. One and three, best case scenario for, for, the, uh, for the Falcons in that regard. I'm not um, sure last time. Actually, I think I do know it. I think the last time a MAC team lost to an FCS team was the 2016 NIU Huskies lost to Western Illinois in an 0-4 start. So that's actually that's a good that's a good question. Um, I don't have, know that off the top of my head either. I'm actually, you know what? I'm looking at Bowling I'm Green. Sure I, well, you know what? I actually I have Bowling Greens. I have Phil Steele's preview magazine up here. I'm looking at Bowling Green's last five season. Week two in 2017, they lost to South Dakota. Oh, I was just about to bring that up. I was going to say, I think Bowling Green might have done. Yes, they did. I remember that now. Yeah, 35-27, they lost to, uh, to South yeah, Dakota. I was at there. a couple of Wild Wings when that happened. I remember that game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back uh, in, in the Mike Jinx era there. Um, so we got a one, we're looking at likely a one and three start with a win against FCS Murray state. Although I wouldn't rule out them losing that game to Murray state. Um, when I look at their max schedule here, I mean, you open up at Kent state, we'll, we'll write that one off. You got Akron at home. I, I guess if I'm a Bowling Green fan, that's a game that I look at and say, maybe at home we can take down Akron. But I mean, you look at what Akron did to them last year. I, I, I don't, I, I, if anything, I think the gap has gotten wider between the two teams with, you know, Akron has a lot more coming back. You go to New Northern Illinois, you got Eastern Michigan, Buffalo, Toledo, Miami, and then Ohio to close out the year. I hate to say it. I hate to sound negative. And if you're a Bowling Green fan, I apologize, but I, I see probably best case scenario for me is probably two and 10. If they can, you know, beat Murray state and then find a, an, an upset win somewhere else. I don't know if you feel differently, Steve. And that sounds right. I'd, I'd, I'd give be a little more optimistic and say that the best case scenario is three and nine if they can somehow take down Akron and Northern Illinois and back to back weeks. Yeah, as those are probably the two weakest links in the MAC besides the Falcons right now. So yeah, that would be the best case. I think one and eleven with a win over Murray State. I don't know. I don't know much about FCS football. I don't know if John Morant plays uh, there. <laughs> that's yeah. the only. thing. John Moran and campaign are the only things I know about Murray State, but uh, yeah, just the max track record against FCS teams in the past couple of years, I will think that the Bowling Green will be able to win that game. I expect improvement from Matt McDonald this year. It's only uphill for him, and I'm sure it was a hard season on him last year, and I think he's going to really take it to heart and get a lot better this year. And I said, Terry and Stewart, you know when you're getting that tough coaching from Leffler where after a great game when he's still – critiquing the things that you need to do better i think stewart is another player that's going to develop and not i mean we seen what he can do as a runner but now as a blocker because bowling green definitely needs that protection offensively i think that there can be improvement there and then there's just a couple guys on defense that i think are young guys that have a lot of potential darren anders at the middle linebacker position and jordan anderson at the strong safety i think they were both sophomores last year and they, they look pretty decent. I mean, we saw we saw a couple good Bowling Green moments. Like, I think in that blowout against Kent State that they led early on in that game and looked pretty good through the first few drives. So, maybe yeah, that, that, game, that game. game was 10 to 10 at the end of the first quarter. Yes. And that, that was probably, yeah, that was like the best quarter of football they played all year. And then it was downhill pretty fast from there. So, it's not, I mean, it's not the apocalypse for Bowling Green. I mean, I think that there's still things to look forward to this season, and just I think improvement and developing the roster are going to be the key focuses for Leffler and this group because I don't really see a bowl game as a likely outcome for this future. But I do think that establishing a foundation, kind of like what Sean Lewis did in 2018 when that Kent State team still struggled, but you could see that they were on the rise. Yeah, that's what we want to come away from this Bowling Green season with that. This is a team that's going to have momentum going into 2022. It's a very well said, Stephen. And 
that's something that I, you know, we had a similar conversation earlier in the show with, with Northern Illinois, where it's like Bowling Green, this is a proud program. This is a fan base that expects to compete. I think a lot of Bowling Green fans are now starting to realize how bad of a mess it was that Scott Leffler inherited. I mean, I think Bowling Green is like a perfect example of what can happen at the mid-major level whenever you hire the wrong coach, right? Dino Babers came in, didn't recruit to sustain the program. Mike Jinks came in without any previous head coaching experience or any ties to Ohio. And this program cratered so fast. And, you know, Scott Leffler came in. It seems like he's trying to do it the right way with recruiting, you know, freshmen and bringing in big recruiter classes. I just wonder, uh, you know, I wonder how much patience the fan base is going to have with him. You're entering year three right now. I think he built up a lot of goodwill. Uh, two years ago with that Toledo victory, uh, that upset. And I think that's been the high point for, for his tenure so far. I'm curious, though, you know, what, what Bowling Green fans, what they're going to expect this year and, and what's their mindset going to be if Bowling Green goes 1-11 this year with the only win over Murray State. Uh, you know, I, I wonder at that point how much more time they'll give Scott Leffler. I think he'll get at least one more year after this one. But I think over these next two seasons, we're going to need to see some progress from the Falcons if he's going to want to stick around long term. I don't know. Do you do you disagree with that? I, I think I would agree. Mike Jenks had what he got fired in his third season. at the Yeah, he got, he got fired halfway through mid-season. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay, so this will be Leffler's third season. Actually, I don't know if he does make it through this season. Yeah. If, if I see a little bit of progress, maybe a three-win season, I would think that you keep him. But 1-11, 0-12, I'm starting to think Bowling Green just recycles and tries it all over again and tries to go for maybe a higher, like, you know, uh, maybe one of those more experienced coaches. Like ULM just bought Terry Bowden from Akron to staff. And right. he hired Rich Rodriguez, and they did pretty well in the transfer portal this offseason. So I know Leffler is very against building a program that way, but sometimes when you're at the bottom, you're going to have to find a way to go up. We saw what UAB did. UAB built a current CUSA dynasty out of JUCO prospects. Yeah. And won the CUSA in 2018. They won it in 2020. They made the CUSA title game in 2019. And they went from an underdog story to a dynasty now in that conference. SMU is doing the same where they're having pretty good results in the AAC every single year by building out of the transfer portal, getting guys like Shane Bouchelle and Kylan Granson to build that roster. And it's worked wonders for the Mustangs. So I know we talk about right ways, wrong ways to build college football programs, but sometimes you have to get out of the gutter you need to do what needs to be done. And I'm thinking that if this is a season of failure for Bowling Green, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to go that route and try to build that program the way that was criticized earlier. Yeah, I, I hear you. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be all that surprised either. You know, you even, even think about what central Michigan did a few years ago, bringing in uh, Greg McElwain and, you know, going from one and 11 to a conference championship. It can't happen that quickly if you hire the right coach. So We'll see. The, the Falcons certainly, uh, you know, fan base not in the position that they would like to see their program. We'll see what happens this year and, and see if there's any upward trajectory that we're able to uh, to discern. Um, I think that's going to wrap it up for, for our, our episode this week with our two season previews. Steve, any any final thoughts, anything else you didn't get to say uh, regarding Bowling Green or Northern Illinois? That was our MAC championship game in 2013, our MAC championship game in 2014, and our MAC championship game in 2015. That was basically the max version of Alabama versus Clemson in the mid 2000s. Yeah. So it's kind of weird that we're covering these teams right now as the respective worst teams in their divisions. But maybe the MAC is pretty cyclical, to be honest. I yeah. mean, we've seen Kent State already run the gamut from a worst to getting first place votes in their division this year. We saw a Ball State team that was going two and ten, and that kept Mike New delivered on his promise, and they went seven and one and won the MAC and finished ranked last year. We've seen, we saw the PJ Fleck Western Michigan go from one and eleven to Cotton Bowl in three years. The MAC is about as cyclical of a conference as there is, without really one team dominating. We haven't really seen that since NIU's run earlier in the 2010s. But things are changing year in and year out now. I mean, we had 
Buffalo versus Ball State this year. Previous year was Miami Central Michigan. Year before that, NIU versus Buffalo. We're getting different champions, different matchups every single year. So, yeah, yeah. great. Just embrace, great... embrace the cycle. You're, yes. you're also on a wheel. <laughs> it's a great point. It's one of the reasons I love the conference so much is that there's so much, uh, there's some upward and downward momentum within the conference that different teams are, are winning the championship. And you do love to see that. Um, so next week, uh, we will be continuing our preseason coverage. We'll be looking at both Akron and Eastern Michigan, the respective fifth place teams in each division last year. Hard to believe Eastern Michigan was came in fifth and is picked fifth again this year. I think they have a lot of talent on that team. So we'll talk about them more uh, next week. But that'll wrap it up for this week's show. Uh, thank you all for tuning in as always. I am Zach Folidor here as always with uh, new co-host Steve Helwick. We'll talk to you guys next Friday. Thanks for being with us here this week and have a great weekend.